What up, nerds? Welcome back to Her and the Nerd Podcast. My name is Julia, aka Jules, and I host this podcast with my husband, Keegan. Yo. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Her and the Nerd. We're at episode three. If you've been listening along, I hope you've learned a little bit more than you did when you came in about decentralization, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and you're having fun and learning right along the side of us. Today we are diving into decentralized exchanges, aka DEXs. Keegan's got his hands up in the air. <laughs> He's pumped on DEXs. Um, and we're excited to share a little bit of an update. Keegan's been working on a DEX at his full-time job and it's ready for beta. So Keegan, can you give us a little bit of an update and tell us where we can check out what you've been working on? Yep, we started working on the DEX um, about three months ago, I guess. We're very proud of, well, I won't speak for them, I assume so, but I'm very proud of what we've built. Yep, it's called HumbleSwap, and it's built uh, on Reach. We've been talking to people, we've been inviting people to di our Discord, and we are going to open the floodgates likely um, tomorrow. So, yeah, it's exciting. Cheers to that, and right in time for the holidays, too. What a What a time. I feel like... It's been so hard for me to like check into work this month. I don't know. I just feel like around the holidays, I'm always kind of like half, <laughs> half in, half out, but it is always also very busy. So it's this like weird juxtaposition of like doing a whole lot, but not feeling like your, you know, focus is all the way there. So it's interesting that you're, you know, uh, deploying this project like right around the holidays and things like that, but you love what you do, so that's great. I love what I do too, but you know, it's just hard around the holidays because you have so much going on. But I think one of the best things that we've done this holiday is told people that we are not giving gifts. We have like a secret Santa situation going on when we visit Keegan's family, and we went to a white elephant party last weekend that was super fun. But so uh, we just shut up, Kenny and Carly. <laughs> Thanks for being our friends here in San Diego. We've been on this journey for basically our whole marriage <laughs> to figure out our finances. And we finally buckled down, created a budget, and I'll be the first to say I think it's like the best thing we've done ever. Yeah. I've been pushing for this for years, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things people don't like to look at or think about. But the people that I look up to, I look at them and... I want to see how they got to where they are. And I think across the board, every whether it's business or an artist or, you know, a technologist, they and they're successful, the large majority, if not all of them, are, you know, smart with their finances. And the the core of that, like the baseline is just budgeting. So, you know, I think I think it's smart. And, you know, there you've likely met very few people that that are wealthy that do not budget. That's doesn't exist so to me it's just a you know if you want if you want to build wealth if you want to have sustainable income you budgeting is a necessity i don't want to live paycheck to paycheck i don't think what people do but yeah that's what we're doing yeah i'm reading this book called uh, do nothing in this book she shares about how we as a society used to save a lot more than we do now and it's only going down the trajectory is only going Instagram. downward and 
we are buying more and saving less as a society. Instagram. <laughs> and it's all Instagram's fault. <laughs> and basically, I, you know, just don't want to be a part of that statistic that is so bad with money. And, you know, we're not old, but we're not super young in our 20, early 20s anymore. And I think I, you know, it's one of those things that snowballs so quickly that, you can get in a really bad place really quickly. And that's kind of what happened to us. It was kind of something that, you know, we were just kind of careless with planning and it bit us in the butt. And now we really have to get serious. And, you know, for a long time, I definitely was really resistant to that just because I have my own issues with money, but I've actually found that having a budget is more freeing and liberating. And I think part of that is because one, there's control, right? Like we have, you know, there's freedom within control of saying like, you can have this thing, but you're just going to have to make sure it fits in the budget and you can take from somewhere else if it's really important to you and you really get to decide what matters to you and what you want to spend your money on to actually like increase your happiness or... Yeah, I think too, uh, Ramit Sethi is a fantastic author. He's been on a million podcasts. Uh, his book I will, is I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Uh, admittedly, I have not read his book, but I've listened to him on a ton of podcasts and read many blogs by him. And I think something that really resonated with me is uh, shifting this idea, you know, that budgeting or money is is a is a bad topic or something you um, dread. You know, looking at your bank account, and you know, his whole thing is reframing it to look at it as you know, it's it's opportunity. I think reframing that, having a different way to look at money really helped me to be like, well, you know, sure, it might stink. Maybe instead of going out six times a month, we go out three times a month. But, you know, the, the long-term payoff to that is, you know, maybe we take a big vacation yeah. in, in two years or whatever. Or if you're saving for a house, maybe, you know, maybe you're not going out with your friends as much or, you know, buying, you know, every outfit you want. The plus it is that gives you... Um, opportunity to put a down payment on a house in three to four years. So I think reframing it to look at money as an opportunistic way uh, at life is a, a powerful way to look at money. Yeah, I think there's just so many benefits. I think I went from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset with setting a budget. And I think that's like the opposite of what I expected. It ends up to where, you know, the reality of having a budget is a lot less scary than the imagination that I had in my head about having a budget, you know, things aren't nearly as bad as I expected them to be. And we're going to hopefully be saving a lot more money than we even thought this month, which is great. So, you know, I just had a lot of fear and like resistance to this whole topic and conversation for a while. And it was really uncomfortable the first two or three weeks, to be honest, because you're just adjusting and you're, you know, figuring out, you know, before you make purchases where to look and what to go to and how to know and just, you know, even just looking at your finances and, and knowing what goes where. I mean, I think what Keegan and I did is we spent a couple hours. Uh, so he used something called Mint and basically went through our entire finances and kind of organized them into categories. And then from there, we kind of estimated how much we think we need each month. And then, uh, you know, just are trying to slash will stick to that and we both have the app downloaded on our phones uh, anytime we want to make a purchase we'll go look at the bucket that 
we know it'll come out of, see how much money we have left. Yeah, so for example, you know, you can have a category in Mint called ride sharing and you can set it up to capture all of your, you know, Ubers and Lyfts and, you know, any and you, you set it up and then moving forward, anytime you get an Uber or Lyft, you'll have a little bar and let's say it's $100 and you get an Uber or Lyft and it costs 25 bucks, then that bar will, you know, say it'll fill up a quarter of the way and say you have $75 left. So it really takes like an afternoon to set up one time and then you're good. And then before you make a purchase, you just pull up your phone and look. It takes literally four seconds. So, and my thing is like, you know, people spend so much time on their phone looking, you know, at social media or texting their friend. So I think people say they don't have time to do it. I think that's ridiculous. You can spend three hours up front and then it takes two to four seconds moving forward. So. Yeah, and what I would recommend is like the first month that you do it, give yourself a lot of grace and let yourself have a period of time that you're getting used to it. Like the first time I went to the grocery store and just like back to my old habits, just kind of bought whatever we needed or I thought we needed. And I had a breakdown because I like spent twice as much as what I was supposed to spend. And I think it's just important. To be clear, I said it was fine when she got home. She was upset and I was... Yeah, no, Keegan didn't make me feel any sort of way. I was just disappointed, and I think it showed me a couple things. I think it showed me that it was actually a good exercise to see what things actually cost versus what I thought they would cost, and then it helped me to realize, okay, if we're really going to be serious about this budget, we need to write out what we need, see how much that's going to cost, see what's left over, and kind of just be really intentional with what we're buying and uh, like have a little bit more pre-planning this is kind of what I mean about giving yourself grace the first you know month or a couple weeks that you're doing it like you're still it takes a second to get used to oh okay a cart of this much stuff equals this much and that is what we want to aim for and you do have to adjust but then at the same time you have to tell yourself okay a budget is like at the end of the month we need to be at a certain place so yeah it's all about the top line Right, yeah. So if you kind of fudge your week to week, but your overall, you know, budget you're not going to surpass, that's okay. So, you know, right when you first start your budgeting, just kind of go into it with the best intentions and know that, like, it's a little bit of a learning curve at first, but this being our first real month having the budget, we've said, you know, we're definitely not going to go over it. There's no reason we should go over it. But I think that's because we had kind of a little bit of a period of trial and error that was helpful. Yeah. And I'll add to that, to Julia's point about spending money. Uh, I was reading an article the other day and it was saying, I think it was 56%. I can double check this, but I believe it was 56% of people are going to go in debt buying gifts this holiday. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty insane. Yeah, it's over half the people. And I feel like that's just so normalized in our culture. It's so yeah. normal to be like... Well, yeah. Yeah. I was mentioning Instagram earlier, but I do truly think social media has a grip on... Not a grip. But Absolutely. It definitely... Whether you know it or not, I mean, it, it influences you. You know, it might be someone that says, well, I don't buy ads, but I don't know. I mean, these platforms are engineered to get you to buy... It might not be that day, but they're engineered to pick at your subconscious, you know, day after day, week after week until you buy that thing. So even if you don't, you, you say you're not, you don't, you know, buy because of ads, it's highly probable you actually do. So Yeah. And whether it's not an official ad, it could be, you know, an influencer selling something mm-hmm. like that is an ad where you may not consciously recognize it is one. And, you know, I think 
having a budget too also has made my relationship with social media better because I know I'm not going to buy anything. Like I know I can't afford to just go on there and, you know, buy something that I see. So, or I don't have a space in the budget for that. So it's not a risk to me. And it's so interesting. It's like made it more freeing to be on social media. Not that I need to be on there more, but it just, it, it's an interesting type of question. Yeah. Maybe this is, I've always thought people that said their hobby is shopping. Like, what, what does that mean? So if you ask someone, what do you like to do? And someone says shopping. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm one of those people. I really love to yeah, shop, but I, that, but I think it's, it's, you know, I think the assumption there is that you're spending a lot of money. But that's not a thing. But that's it's, like, that's like someone's, I don't know. It just seems weird. Yeah, yeah. Because Your hobby is spending money, yeah. Yeah, because you're not it it it, it, it doesn't requires require requires zero. It literally requires money. It can be something you enjoy doing and you like. I mean, it, I think it requires a little more context. Like, I really am into fashion and to styling. I find myself expression. But you can be fashion. into all of that. You know, making your own clothes. Like I would argue that if you're really into fashion, you're not really into fashion unless you're making your own clothes, going to get your own fabric. Well, I mean, I really enjoy thrift shopping. Like I love going and finding gems and finding deals and finding things that are secondhand. Like that's one thing that I've been doing with our budget. See, I think those are different. I think I enjoy fashion as one thing, yeah. and I enjoy shopping. Those are two distinctly yeah. different things to me because okay, you yeah. don't. I mean, I they guess you hand need, hand. well, I guess that's not true because you're going to need to shop for fabrics or shop with your clothes. And if you're a stylist, you mm -hmm. shop. I mean, you, you know, that's what a, a fashion stylist would do. They would go, you know, find outfits and clothes. I mean, that's part of their job. Some of it's just styling clothes people already have. Mm. But, you know, that's another, another side of it too. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting observation for sure. But yeah, I think, you know, that's another note that I made. You know, my clothing budget is $100 a month. And so what I've been doing is I've been just exclusively shopping on Poshmark. FYI, Julia chose that number. Yeah. I asked her. And I, to be clear, our budget, it was very open. Yeah, it's mutual. Yeah. Yeah, we, we said I just always would have think like, oh my God, are you like me? Because <laughs> like, we talked about yeah. it and I was like... Yeah, I literally said I don't I don't care what it is, just I want you to stick to this. Yeah, and I just want to get this over with as fast as possible. So <laughs> not over with because we're always gonna have a budget. But you know, I just really want to make sure we're get caught it's a, up. Yeah, it's really important to me too. So Yeah, well, and, and the budget grows, right? Like we're saving aggressively now, so you know, instead of saving whatever forty percent, you know, it, that will go down as time goes on. Yeah. So we're just in a hole and we gotta We gotta get out. That's it, so we yeah. Gotta bubble down. It's not gonna happen by osmosis right yeah so i think getting intentional with our spending habits has actually been a really great thing and it's also something that just like with mine and keegan's relationship that we're not arguing over or fighting about and there's no tension over it like i'm not scared well, that we he's did. gonna be right that's what i'm saying now oh, it's yeah. not yeah, like yeah, it's true. not anymore because we have clear boundaries right i mm -hmm. think before we were not aligned at all well yeah i would say that i i and correct me if i'm wrong but i think what really struck home with Julia as I said look this is this is where we're at like this is what we owe I mean it is what it is you know and to be transparent you know a lot of that was taxes Julia self-employed I was self-employed for a while we were behind um, California taxes are relatively high you know we didn't prepare for that um, you know we accumulated some credit card debt and I said hey you know this is this is this is what we owe it is what it is um, this is what we're bringing in this is what we're spending and it uh, I think it helped Julia to see like oh 
fuck. We're like, you know, at the end of the month, like right now we're, you know, taking home like $500, which is like our minimum credit card payments, which is, you know, they're going up. with the And we could payment. do so much better. I mean, I think money goes places and you don't even know where. And I just think right. it's so important. Even just the energetics around money and attracting money. I feel like, like respecting money is going to get you more attraction to it mm-hmm. than disrespecting it by like spending recklessly is kind of my mentality. And it's like, I don't ever want to have any amount of money without earning the respect of it, well, know? yeah, and I told Julia this, and you know, people were probably saying that's not true. If I had this, I would be fine. But the I can't cite the reports, but basically, if you if you're making four thousand dollars a month and you're broke at the end of the month, you're likely going to be broke at the end of the month if you're making ten thousand dollars a month versus four thousand. A lot of people say that's not true, but I mean, it is. It's all it's all about habits. Yeah. And that's something that he's driven into me as well. It's like, if we can't budget at where we are now, it's going to be the same if we had 10 times the amount. So it's like, no matter what, it's about, yeah, that discipline and that like respect. It's just respecting each other's wishes. And I think it's something that's been really important to Keegan for a while. And I've felt bad about it. And I think that's also probably why I've had resistance to it, just because I felt so bad. But, you know, I just think that all in all, we're in such a better place from having done it and it really wasn't as bad as I thought and I know not necessarily a male female thing because I have friends who female friends who are the you know financial managers of their household and their husbands are the one with the spending habits so I don't necessarily even think it's a gender thing but you know if you're like me and you're someone who you know I was just afraid of like cutting back even more because I was scared that you know coming from a scarcity mindset like that it wouldn't be enough and then having a budget and seeing that I have more than enough still and like I can eat and be just as happy has been really freeing and liberating. So well, I, and, well, I want to chime in. We, so yeah, it's not like we can't go out and do anything or we don't have any money. It's just instead right. of going out six times a month, you go out two or three times a month. That's all it is. It's, yeah. And instead of buying whatever, five glasses a month, you buy two. So it's not, it's not like you're you know, you're living in a cave. Right. And I think that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid that it would be too restrictive and that I honestly thought that no amount of us saving right now would actually make a difference, which is a huge lie. Like we're, like I said earlier, saving hopefully a lot of money this month that I didn't Mm -hmm. think that we could. And so, you know, that's just even more motivating and I'm really, really glad we did it. And it took, you know, (laughs) we've been married for five years and you know just now really setting a budget that we're sticking to so yeah I'm really happy about it and you know everyone else understands like that we're not getting Christmas presents like they get it and I think I also for a while you know I love giving gifts I know the love language is like what you like getting but like my love language for giving is gifts like I love getting gifts for people it's just something about me and I kind of use that as a crutch to be like, oh, my value is tied to what gift I give people. And that's what make people love me, which isn't true. And so it's almost liberating in another way of saying, you know, my relationship to people isn't contingent upon what I buy them. I guarantee you, if you wanted to give, I would bet a million dollars that if you wanted to give someone something, and you couldn't afford it, if you wrote them a thought, if you sat down for an hour, two hours, whatever, and wrote them a letter, you know, telling how much you appreciate this person, they would value that just as much, if not more, than 
whatever, a t-shirt or a gift card, I would bet a million dollars on it. So the point is, you it's can actually give, a really good idea. I'm you can sure. give gifts without spending money. Yeah. It's people have this weird. I don't know. This it's not a zero sum yeah. game. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just our perspective. That's what's finally working for us, and it took us a long, long time to get here. So if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh, I need to do that," but I just have some hesitance, I get it. I dragged my feet on this as long as I could, but it truly, truly is the best decision that we could have made. And another thing to that point is I was thinking about it today. Like, you know, we started going to a gym a couple months ago and I was thinking today, you know, I'm so glad before the holidays, before the new year, I've already kind of set this new tone for my life. Like it's, it's not about waiting for the new year or waiting for any time. Like if you want solutions are garbage. If you want something and if you want to do something like Keegan and I set a budget starting literally during the busiest holiday time shopping time of the year is when we started implementing it. Like you just can't wait for the quote unquote right time or when it's convenient for you. You just have to do it. If we had a new year's resolution to have a budget, we're already a month and a half ahead. If we had a new year's resolution to start going to a specific gym, you know, we're already two and a half months ahead of that, you know, and that feels so much better than waiting to start something for the new year. Well, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first two months. So yeah, you have to build habits and build routines that, you know, reflect who, where you want to go and who you want to be. And like just doing them is really the only way to get there. You can't wait for the perfect time. So anyway, we hope you liked our TED talk on budgeting. That's just something that we've learned recently and wanted to pass along and share. But we'll go ahead and get into this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Remind everyone what you do on a broad sense and then what specific project you're working on and why you're excited because you're hopefully about to launch soon. Yeah. I work at a company called Reach. I actually work for technically Humble. But it is an arm of reach. And what I do is at Humble, we build decentralized applications. A decentralized application is an application whose backend is on the blockchain. And we have been working on a DEX, which is short for Decentralized Exchange, D-E-X. And yeah, it's exciting. We are going to launch on Algorand, which is a blockchain initially, but ultimately it will be cross-chain. So the DEX is built in Reach, and the nature of Reach is that it is one, it is a language in which you write one, you write one type of code that gets compiled into the bytecode for all the native languages of said blockchains. So Unlike other DEXs that are typically, you know, you have a DEX for Ethereum, a DEX for Algorand, a DEX for Solana, etc. The ultimate goal is for our DEX to be the first cross-chain DEX. But yeah, we're launching a closed beta at Decipher, which is a big Algorand event on uh, Monday. And how long have you been working on this? We started working on it in... Probably early September. Oh wow, that's incredible! So you re- built it really fast. Pretty quick, yeah. So we had it. We have a team of three engineers. We recently hired the fourth one. 
two, three weeks ago. Up until now, the, the whole deck has been written by three people. But we have a fourth engineer that's currently being onboarded. But it is, a, it is a lot to learn. There's a lot of different facets that you have to be comfortable with. And he's, uh, he's getting up to speed and is almost there to start really contributing. So, yeah, it's a small team. We built it pretty quick. Is that common to build something of this size? Or is it just easy because you're building it in reach and that's a benefit of the platform? Yeah. It's hard to say if it's common because there, there aren't too many DEXs. Is it common to like be able to build something that is going to be almost immediately you know, processing a lot of users? I feel like something like that would take... Yeah, so one of the beauties about decentralized applications is, again, you're not managing servers, your backend, the actual processing, if you will, of the application is being handled by the blockchain. I'm trying to think about how to say this non-technically. You don't have to worry about, you know, high, high traffic, a ton of users, because that's being handled on the blockchain. If said blockchain can handle that, then you're good. So, so the technology is just able to handle more without having any side effects or... Yeah. That's cool. I think it's thinking of it as a different technology than, you know, the internet that we're used to running things on. I feel like when Keegan was building web applications or phone applications, those things required so much more time to build and processing power and data and all of that stuff to consider. Whereas I feel like you just built something like that seems to be sort of a hopefully big deal. Mm hmm. At least for your yeah, company, well, let six weeks. Let me be, let me be clear. The, the majority of, of the back end, the, the reach code, was initially implemented by one of the core engineers at reach, Chris Nevers. So he kind of got the ball rolling as far as the core contract code. So in, in blockchain land, the back end is, is all it's smart contracts. So Chris Nevers, really fantastic engineer, brilliant. He really kind of set the standard and wrote uh, a large, large chunk of the, the contract code. And we've been iterating and implementing that since I've got hired. Because, yeah, he was working on that before the quote-unquote specialty products team at Reach was built. Oh, Chris, wow. our CEO, wanted to get the ball rolling, so he you know, already got started. But Chris Nevers wrote the bulk of this contract initially, the, the Reach code, the back end of this decentralized exchange. And my team has since, you know, kind of taken, taken ownership of that and making changes and implementing new features in that smart contract. It's cool that the CEO obviously has invested so much in this company and has helped you guys out tremendously to build this. You mentioned, you know, Decipher, which is a conference happening this weekend in Miami. Your team is going to be there. I know we talked about another conference in our last episode but i just feel like with it being such emerging news and technology mm -hmm. that these are the events where you know if you're paying attention to them or if like you have an inside insight into them i feel like that's going to be the predictors of like where this industry is going so i just find it really interesting to know what's like going on in that world because those you know are you know we have a lot of vested it's such a huge like new trend technology that we're all curious about so mm -hmm. just some context to why i'm even interested in asking you about this can you share a little bit more about what you think they're going to announce mm -hmm. who's going to be there as far as like what companies things like that yeah so 
Julia's referring to Decipher, which is the first, yeah, I'm 99% certain it's the first official Algorand event. So in the, you know, in the, in the blockchain space, you know, there's hundreds of different blockchains, you know, a few that most people know. So Bitcoin, you know, has its own blockchain. Ethereum has its own blockchain. Algorand has its own blockchain. Cardano has its own blockchain. Solana has its own blockchain. And typically these conferences or events will, you know, you'll have like a, an Algorand event and then a Bitcoin event and then an Ethereum event. They're all kind of separate and the, the events are siloed to the, the technology. I'm sure there's some catch-all blockchain agnostic event, but the, the big ones are typically, you know, focusing on a, the quote-unquote niche audience who are very interested in this tech. So the Decipher is the Algorand event, and again, it's the first one, so it's really exciting. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited my team is going. Algorand is growing at a very, very fast pace. As, and when I say growing, I mean people developing on it, people creating new ASAs, NFTs, if you will. The number of people creating those in Algorand is just growing at an exponential rate. Week over week, use of the Algorand SDK is growing at exponential rates. The people writing Teal and compiling Teal, which is the native language to the Algorand blockchain, is again growing at exponential rates. So, so the, the underlying technology, which is blockchain that this event is based around, is growing very, very fast. So it's, it, 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 it's gaining steam. So I think the Algorand team recognized this and they wanted to put on an event. So having said all of that, the, I think one of the big things that could be announced, I could be wrong, but everyone's speculating a CBDC announcement, which is a CBDC, central bank digital currency. So everyone's speculating that this could be announced, which, which would be massive. So for context, what a CBDC central bank digital currency what does that mean well that means that a a governing entity i.e. america canada china russia whatever they would essentially be issuing a digital currency based on a clone of that blockchain or more than likely it'd probably be a clone but they could implement it on the mainnet the current mainnet of that blockchain so yeah, that would be absolutely massive because essentially what would happen is you're talking about an entire country staking their economy on saying, hey, we trust this blockchain enough to stake our entire economy, livelihood, financial future on this. So I think that would be super interesting. Again, I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's highly speculative. It very well might not. I think... Another thing, I think NFTs are going to be a big, big talk. Again, talking about the growth of, of NFTs in the Algorand space. And again, for context, I think I mentioned this in another episode, but they're growing at a fast rate because of the fixed low fees on Algorand. It's, it's always 0.001 algo, which equates to mm, about roughly about a thousandth of a penny. So, I mean, essentially nothing to the large majority of people. So, yeah, I think you're going to hear some a lot of talk about NFTs. There's going to be a lot of NFT creators from the Algorand community there. 
I think they're going to announce an upgrade from currently 1,000 transactions per second to, I think it's 10,000, 10,000. I think 10,000 transactions per second for the an update to the AVM, or maybe it's a layer one update, I'm not entirely sure, but which would be massive. Everyone knows it's coming, but will it be announced at Decipher? I don't know. But what does that mean? That means that essentially the, the algorithm will be able to transact 10 times the number of transactions per second than it currently is. So that's pretty insane. Yeah, so I think those are my kind of top three expectations that obviously may or may not happen. <laughs> cool, cool. That's interesting. We'll keep we'll keep an eye out. For your NFT creators that you mentioned, what are some of your favorite Algorand NFT creators? I like the Algosane collection, which is done by a homie named Algo House. Yeah, I think they're beautiful. I think I think getting into the NFT space I, uh, I guess in the past month, I really started diving in. You really start to understand the detail that these digital artists put into it. I know we talked a little bit previously about, you know, there's kind of different metrics you can look at to weigh the value of an NFT, whether it's art or utility, exclusivity, whatever. And yeah, I think when you do look at the art, you, you do understand, if you look at it in detail, just like you look at a painting or anything else, you're like, wow, this took a long time to do. It's just digital instead of physical. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to grasp. So short answer is I really like what Algo House is doing with Algo Sayings because of the detail. I think his the concepts he comes up with for his various collections are spot on. He's also planning to launch a game, I believe. He's got some announcements coming up that he's going to announce at Decipher. Let's see. I really like this other... Let me see what they're called. The parent company is called Starsight Labs. But, oh, Project A-Gear. A-E-G. It's very early right now, but it's, it's sort of like Hearthstone is the vibe that I'm getting. I actually think one of the founders of this project was one of the top three Hearthstone players several years ago. Nias, Nias, N-I-A-S. But anyways, that's another project that I'm super interested in. Those are probably two that I'm following very closely slash invested in and how do you <laughs> typically find these creators where do you go to like check them out twitter's become a very big learning hub for me in the algorand space pretty much all things algorand not all things but i've learned a lot from twitter just following the right people you know obviously in any social media you're gonna get garbage people but being able to filter out that and doing your due diligence when when researching, you know, you'll come across someone and, you know, you kind of follow that person and be like, oh, well, they'll write on this, they'll write on this, they'll write on this, and you're like, okay, I'm going to follow this person. So not following people blindly, but really looking at the history and seeing what what they have to say. And then, yeah, I think just getting involved into any NFT project, you'll likely join a Discord, and then you just hear people talking about other projects, and then you check them out, and you're like, this blows, oh, this is sick. And then at the end of the day, it's a judgment call, right? But yeah, I'm very much one that I like to find, look for things that have the potential to, you know, that not many people know about. I'm not really interested at this time in buying something where that already has all the hype. I'm looking for things that, you know, very few people know about relatively that could become that hype. So, and that's obviously harder to do. I mean, it's easy to 
Google top NFTs, but it's harder to find those gems, which I'm interested in. And I think Twitter's a great tool for that. Discord's a great tool for that. Follow yeah. on Twitter. I would have to look. It's the majority that I, the majority of people that I follow are creators, NFT, ASA. So when I say ASA, that is Algorand Standard Asset. It's it's a quote unquote standard. It's kind of a silly standard for a few reasons. But it doesn't matter. When I say ASAs, I mean NFTs on Algorand. I follow the majority of NFT creators and yeah, a few curators, but I'd have to look. I follow a few venture capitalists actually. The Kyle, I think is his name from Valhalla Capital. He's pretty prominent in the space. But yeah, the majority just creators, they'll retweet stuff, you know, because you know, they want to help with each other out. So when we started talking about DEX earlier, thinking about the implementation of DEX, which is a decentralized exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's back up a little bit and talk about what an exchange is. If you've ever bought crypto or know someone who's bought crypto, they probably use something like Coinbase or uh, what's other big one? Binance, if you're not in the US, Voyager, whatever. If you probably use those or your friend probably use those those would be centralized exchanges they are owned by one governing entity they are done via an order book an order book meaning like the prices are being made manually well i guess it might be automated they use an order book is is the big takeaway you can google what an order book is i would probably give a poor definition if i tried right now so a decentralized exchange, everything is backed by one pretty simple mathematical formula. That formula is, it's all algorithmic. So yeah, a decentralized exchange is basically an exchange that needs no governing entity. And it could effectively be, if you never wanted to update it, you could theoretically and very possibly just write, uh, build a decentralized exchange, write the code for it, deploy it, and never have an employee again. And obviously, that's insane because if you look at these companies, so in traditional finance, forget Coinbase, you're talking about, you know, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, those would be exchanges. And obviously, that they have, I don't know how many employees, 1,000, 10,000 employees. So you're talking about whatever will go low and say 1,000 employees versus a team of two, three, four, ten people to build this thing that's basically self-sustaining afterwards. It's insane. You have no fees. It's instant. In the future, there will be very little KYC. Know your customer. I guess these exchanges, you can use a wallet, which negates the KYC aspect of it. So yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Is software, once again, eats the world. And finance is one of the things that it can, it can essentially automate. Okay, so... What kind of businesses do you feel like are going to start implementing DEXs in the future? Well, I think there will... I think... I I personally think everything that is truly decentralized is going to win. I do think all of these current traditional finance entities will implement some sort of AMM, automatic market maker. So it's it's essentially you have an order book versus an automatic market maker. AMM for short, and you can think of order book as kind of like, this isn't really accurate, but, but, but the association, I think, in kids' minds and people that are heavily in crypto, when they hear order book, they hear 
centralized, potentially manipulated, because these prices can be changed by people versus an automatic market maker. It is just that. It is automatic. It is 100% algorithmic based on this formula. So it like it cannot be changed. If I can look at the code and say, hey, this is this is what it is. No one can change it because, again, it's a smart contract. It's on the blockchain. It's immutable. Yeah, 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 this yeah. cannot be changed. Why would I not trust this over the yeah, an order book that can be manipulated? So it's all right. So to answer your question, I do think all of these exchanges, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, Fidelity, whatever, they will implement some kind of AMM system. But again, it's going to have that name attached onto it. It's going to have. It's going to be Fidelity AMM exchange, right? Yeah. But it's going to have that name attached to it. And again, like why? Why would you? Yeah. Why so, would you versus a decentralized one? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Facebook or any other kind of company that has a a, a quote unquote boomer app. I mean, it's the same thing. People, kids don't want to use that because it's, it's silly. I mean, everything's come to light with Facebook, everything that they're doing, and I think people are waking up and... Like data and privacy. Yeah. And, and again, when you have when you have some big-ass name on that, like Facebook or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade, I think that inherently, th- there's not going to be decentralized. Is that why Facebook changed to Meta? So that <laughs> when they create stuff, people don't have that, like... I mean, it's, it's speculative. I have no idea, but I personally think that had some. Yeah. I, I think I think Zuckerberg came out and said it had nothing to do with that or their PR team. I believe I read that somewhere, but I, I don't know. I disagree. Sorry to interrupt you. I probably can write down five acronyms from this conversation of things that I had never heard of before. So if you say something to me once, I'm probably just trying to wrap my head around it mm-hmm. and like. Unless we talk about it three or four more times, I probably won't associate it. So much is happening so quickly, and I'm trying to, like, adapt to all of these new terms because Mm -hmm. they're all important. Like, everything that you've mentioned, even though I'm like, oh, gosh, what's an AMM? It's important to describe what that is, and I'm learning something new. So I'm trying to absorb everything, but I just feel like... And here's something we were talking about earlier. So we were talking earlier about both being visual learners because I was, like, making notes on different things that we could talk about. And as soon as I wrote decentralized exchanges down on a piece of paper and then Keegan was talking and he had said, oh, and then like the decks that I'm building, blah, blah, blah. And immediately I was like, decks, decentralized exchange. Before I realized that I was gonna ask you, what does decks stand for? Mm -hmm. And then I realized it because I had written it down. So it kind of was like a light bulb moment to me as far as like the way that I learn Mm-hmm. And I realized that I should probably start doing a little bit of light reading about this stuff just because I feel like I will be able to retain so much more if I read about it. I think I just realized that like if you're like me and you're listening to this podcast, obviously this is oratory and like you're hearing us. If you're having trouble grasping onto any of this, like maybe just kind of write down a few words or phrases and go Google it or like type it in or look it up. And that was just like an interesting realization I had earlier and just wanted to put that there in case anyone relates. Yeah, I agree. I'm also a visual learner, also mechanical, meaning I like, I learn, I learn the best by doing something. Yeah, you are. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Seriously, it's insane. It's so cool to watch you like learn a bunch of stuff. Okay, so we were talking before we went on the slight detour, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we were talking about why people would use decentralized exchanges versus centralized aka the fidelities facebook's mm-hmm. meta charles schwab yeah yeah so i i truly truly 
I, yeah, I mean, it will be, I speculate it will be true for DEXs, but I think it's going to be even more so than that. I think most people are going to, to use decentralized X over centralized X. Like beverage companies. So let's say, what's a drink we like? Olipop. I like mm-hmm. Olipop a lot. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to create another soda brand that had all the same benefits and Mm -hmm. flavors Mm -hmm. but it was a company built on blockchain instead of a company owning this beverage and selling this beverage Mm -hmm. people can go and create a DAO on blockchain a decentralized Mm -hmm. autonomous organization and Mm -hmm. maybe if we started it we would get like one free case a year of it like we get a bit a bonus for like putting our money into it but then like who runs it I'm just curious about the practicalities of like yeah. setting up a company on blockchain that has multiple or like the populace, you know, involved. Yeah, this is what shares of stock are, right? When a company goes public, people can buy shares in that stock, which inherently means you own whatever X percent of that company, which is awesome. And then you have shareholders meetings where you can vote on things. I would have to look it up, the, the granular details, but... I, well, I guess the question is, how many people do you know, even to the fourth degree, that have launched a company by, uh, that is IPO'd, meaning they have, have shares in their company? My guess is that the large majority of people, if not everyone, that's zero. And again, even with like the third or fourth degree of people that you know. So that process is, is, is difficult, right? With decentralized autonomous organizations, you can effectively go public today, right? You could... You could hire a developer, build it yourself. You could write a smart contract that functions as a DAO. You could issue tokens. And let's say we're making an Olipop competitor. We call the token Oli. We issue X amount of Oli to these people. You're cutting down all of the red tape that it takes to IPO. And again, with these tokens, it's, it's easy. You don't have to have like a shareholder meeting where everybody gets on the call. You can just... You can have a vote. If you have tokens, then you're valid for X votes, and then you ju- you you just you vote online. That I mean, to be clear, this process already exists through stock and shareholders, but this yeah. streamlines it to, I mean, a factor Makes it way of more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. So you can raise money and offer benefits to however however you want to structure it. So, yeah. Basically, you're just getting money for this decentralized organization. Yeah, and again, DAOs are, I don't want to say But that doesn't immune. mean you would necessarily want to if you're launching a company. You still are subject to the value of it, right? Or how would that work out? I mean, it would depend on how you want to structure it. You, I mean, okay, and that's like that's like these, these rug pull tokens, right? People just, just say, hey, invest in this token. It's really cool. They build a bunch of hype. We're going to launch this brand new clothing line if you buy cloth token you know you're own 10 percent of the company <laughs> or whatever and then the company doesn't exist and then people they've raised two million dollars and then they just they just cash out and then delete everything because in the white papers that most people don't read they put something in there right yeah they they might and most people don't read the white papers so they might put it in the white papers but again it's still kind of a it's still kind of the wild wild west it's slowly not becoming that but currently it is so yeah, you just have to do your due diligence, read the white papers, look at the tokenomics, and, you know, make that decision for you, so. Is that a thing now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's cute. Yeah, so, yeah, tokenomics is, is just, like, the, what, what you think, the economics of, of that token, of that, the thing. How it's structured. Yeah, how many are being released per year. It's just the economics of a token. It's very, it's a, it's a silly word, but it's a pretty simple concept. Well, you said something earlier that just caught my attention about KYC, know your customer, mm. or mm-hmm. is that right, customer? Yeah. And how that's not no longer going to be a thing? Well, yeah, I guess I should say I hope it moves in that direction, but then at the same time, I don't... <laughs> to be clear, there are two very prominent terms in the crypto space specifically, and it's KYC, which stands for Know Your Customer. And what that means is like, you have to give information about yourself to sign up for the platform. Meaning, like, if I go to Facebook, right, and I make an account, first name, last name, email, maybe phone number, that'd be like, know your customer. They know who I am. So, and then an on-ramp that is like a, like a fiat on-ramp. How do I get my fiat, like, for example, my dollars, my USD, $1,000 in my bank account, how do I convert that? Um, $1,000 into X crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Algorand, whatever. So that would be like, what is the fiat on-ramp to get this 1,000 USD to X crypto? Because you you have to convert it some way. So yeah, I mean, I would love to see KYC go away, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm not sure how that would work. I'm sure people are working on it because that's really the only piece that that ties you to the thing that ties you to the crypto space is this KYC on-ramp. But if you could come up with some completely decentralized on-ramp, I don't know how, what it would look like, but yeah, I would love to see that because then, you know, no one knows what I'm doing. No one should know what I'm doing. But you just knew the key though. Yeah. So for example, to get, I guess KuCoin, K-U-C-O-I-N, kind of does this, but then it's tied to your credit card. So they would know... But it's like this. So if I if I go on Coinbase and I make an account and I buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, this custodial account, this address is tied to because again it's centralized. So this address, this this when I say address, I don't mean home address. I mean like your your wallet address, your public key is tied to Keegan Thompson at X address and X city at X state at X zip code, right? So they know that this address is to here. So when I transfer sub $1,000 worth of Bitcoin from Coinbase, they know that this wallet address is tied to Keegan Thompson at X address. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can send it to this address, but you can always link it back. Yeah. Um, how do they know it wasn't stolen? So I was, asking, I was talking to someone about this and I was like, why can't I just say, oh man, someone like stole my account or stole my money? Because this other address, this one hop, from Coinbase wallet address, if I make another anonymous address that has no KYC, I just create an address and I send my money from my Coinbase address to this anon anonymous address. So, I don't know. I think there's caveats to get around. I guess I'm talking explicitly about tax purposes, but the point is you can you can trace back those hops. Right, but it, yeah, and I thought like one of the main benefits of decentralization was that it was anonymous. Well. I mean, it is, but the, so decentralization and anonymity, they're not the same thing. 
Decentralization just means there's no one one entity. Right. That's all that means. It has nothing to do with anonymity. Zcash, which is another crypto, I'm not entirely sure. It does some kind of scrambling to scramble up addresses when you send a transaction or some shit like that. I'd have to Google it. This That might not be entirely correct, but I know that Zcash, for example, is used in that way. It's like a truly anonymous way to use funds. And again, once... Uh, okay, autonomous organization just means it can function independently of, like, one person. They're not They're not the same thing, but... But again, you would have to know... It's yeah. harder to get your identity stolen or your keys stolen or something like that. Yeah, I mean, by far, crypto is exponentially safer than banks. I mean, it, it's been proven. I could probably pull up some papers, but yeah, it's much safer than banks. 100%. The thing about crypto that I think is holding people up is, I think it's the responsibility of it, right? Like once you grasp, like you are your own bank. That's what crypto has done. You are your own bank with NFTs. You are your own gallery. You, you can do whatever you want now with no limitations at the speed of X blockchain. And it's a lot of responsibility, right? So like, I can't go to my bank and say, Mike, I lost my card, I'm fucked. Like, can you send me a new one or reverse the transaction? There's none of that. Like, you're responsible for that. So I think that responsibility is a lot for people. Like, once you understand, it's a lot to comprehend, to be like, oh, shit, you know, I'm responsible for $10,000, a million dollars, $20 million. Like, it's, like if, if, I, if I fuck up, I get, that's it. It's on me. I can't get it back. Because I was thinking, like, know your customer if that's no longer going to be a thing. Yeah, so Like, the implications of that on the marketing industry. Yeah, I think it'll destroy the marketing industry. So there are companies working on digital IDs. That's called Bright. I don't know how well they're doing. And I think the aim is to essentially, so instead of being like Keegan Thompson at X address has this credit score and owes this amount of debt or whatever, it would be uh, wallet address 247VQTXP has this credit score and owes this amount. I think that's going to be the new KYC. It's all going to be based on a wallet address, but no one, you know, no one knows who wallet X123V45 is. Uh huh. Okay. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. I hope, again, I don't, I don't have to do research on this, but. My speculation is that in the coming years, KYC will be shifted to quote-unquote digital blockchain IDs. But do you think that we're going to know the level of data we know about people on decentralization as we do now? No. I mean, it'll be like this. There's a social media platform doing this. I think it's on Algorand, actually. But So it's going to be like this. You're going to be recognized as X247VW32 right and you know x whatever i said xw whatever that wallet address will be your identity that's essentially what wallets are right it's your identity wallet is a weird word you'll be able to see oh person x45 spent 200 bitcoin this year so you'll be able to get information like that but you're not going to know their age you won't know like where they live. So magnify that out. So if everywhere you're frequenting online is part of a decentralized network, you'll only be known by your key. 
or your IV correct in there the step out from there is that you're going to be living in basically a world where that is your identity you don't have like a Facebook on the internet and like, that is going to be like where you spend all of your time so my CEO Chris he hates the word metaverse and I agree with him the more I think about it because it's we're, we're like like what does that mean what is the metaverse like we're already there I mean think about how many people spend X amount of hours on their phone I guess if you're listening if you looked at your if you have an iPhone you looked you probably spent five to six hours on your phone I don't think that's I think it's probably pretty common so we're already living in a metaverse and then tack onto that the amount of time you're on in front of your computer you're there you're, you're online all the time so and I think people have this weird misconception of, or this like Preconceived notion. Yeah, very well put. This quote-unquote the metaverse. When, when I'm saying metaverse, everything is digital. People are like, that's silly and stupid. It's going to ruin kids or whatever. But I mean, we're already doing that. Like, if you're on Instagram, it's, this, it's the same thing. It's just instead of posting a real picture, you're just going to, like, customize your avatar. And, I mean, it is the same thing. A picture is nothing more than pixels, data, being relayed on your phone to your eyes. It is this, why is that any different than some avatar that you have that you've made pretty to look cool that has X amount of skills that you worked at grinding and some, it's the same thing. So I think what's going to happen is advertisers are going to need to get involved in the digital world via sponsorships in these digital worlds or partnering with NFT creators or maybe Nike makes some decks with NFTs where you can swap like each shoe has an NFT and you can swap and then I go to Nike and I get that NFT and that NFT's burn and I get that shoe and the other person does the same thing, they get that shoe. I think that's like where marketing is going to go. Oh, okay. And then Nike Dex, for example, maybe they maybe Nike gets three percent or four percent or whatever. So I think there's that's, gonna be like a shit ton of jobs and people designing all of these like virtual universes for all these mega brands and Yeah, that's what that's yeah. what I speculate. I could be wrong, but the short answer is I think I think Facebook is dying. I think traditional social media is dying. I think if you're in digital marketing right now or finance, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And again, this isn't going to happen overnight. This is not going to be like, oh, in three months, holy shit. I'm talking like four or five years down the road. Maybe sooner. Yeah. But that's what I was saying about digital marketing and finance, because literally, like, crypto is going to render banks. Like they're going to be useless. The only people using banks are going to be like 50 plus year olds. You've been telling me this for probably a year. And I'm just now actually really being able to like conceptualize it because before mm-hmm. it was like, okay, yeah, sure. I believe you. Like I believe that you had done the research and gotten there, but it literally has taken me a, year, a yeah. year to get to where you've been. Like it's crazy how far ahead that you can think. It's crazy. Well, uh, yeah, and for perspective, people were saying this five years ago like this is not a new in 2017 i saw the first post about bitcoin and again this is when bitcoin was like less than a dollar or it was insane and someone on reddit might have been satoshi who knows but satoshi nakamoto meaning anon when i say anon i mean anonymous the anon creator of bitcoin anyways he was talking about bitcoin and he said hey there's this new digital currency Basically just outlining this is going to radicalize the power to the people. You know, we've been oppressed for a long time. 
financial institutions taking advantage of us, et cetera. I laid out the white paper, said this is, you know, this is how it's going to work. And it, the comments are just, everyone's just like, you're an idiot. This is stupid. This is the most, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And again, you're talking about four years, let's, let's, let's call it six years ago. Let's, let's hedge it. And I heard the other day, talking about less than a dollar, and it's at $60,000 plus. Like, I mean, it's pretty clear we're here. Yeah. It's coming. So that's pretty much it. All right. I see it now. Yeah. I need to create my own wallet. I'm going to do it. That's my homework for the week. What we should do, we should, we should set you up a wallet, and then you should go trade for some stuff on a decentralized exchange. Just so you see, like, wow, this is... Because once you do it and you comprehend, especially if, if you've used traditional financial tools, you're like, holy shit, this is insane. Yeah, that's my homework for the week. I saw this Twitter thread. I don't know who it was, but they had a, a check mark on Twitter. So, I mean, it must be They were somewhere. verified. Yeah. And it was some, like, finance person. And the thread was essentially going into uh, crypto and, you know, Everyone needs to be careful. This is not going to last. And, this, and keep in mind, this is like two days ago, three days ago. If you really want to make value investments, look at, look at gold and silver, look at X stocks, look at indexes, S&P 500, whatever. And one of her main points was that, you know, it, it's bad for the environment and it has no governing authority. And then, anyways, in the comments, she was just getting, actually, a lot of people were on her side saying, yeah, I can't believe people are putting money into this. And again, keep in mind, this is after crypto, well, again, I'm using Bitcoin because it's the most popular, after Bitcoin 5x in a year and a half, which is insane. So anyways, so people in the comments were like, yeah, girl, you're right. This is silly. I can't believe where we're headed or why people are investing in this. This is, you know, this is an awful future. But anyways, the, the point is, is a few people replied, and I agree with these replies, is they were saying, you know, that's the whole point of crypto, is there is no governing authority, it's up to the people, it's pure democracy. And I think if you think the current financial system is democracy, I think you're kind of delusional. But the other point that she made was the environmental impact, which, you know, if you believe it or not, I, I, I see both sides, but looking at the data, it's not, I mean, it's no more worse Everyone always talks about Bitcoin being bad for the environment. And I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist by any means. I don't even own any Bitcoin. But people say, you know, Bitcoin's bad for the environment. But what people don't understand is like, sure, it, it costs computational power to contribute to the network to be a miner. But I think people underestimate the number of offices that it takes for these financial institutions. So let's say, whatever, let's look at new york and on wall street look at how many buildings they have so let's look at each building let's look at each floor let's look at each office let's look at each energy bill let's look at each each computer in their offices let's look at their commute for each of the people to come into the office i mean even aside from all of that are there chains like algorand that are completely carbon negative and that's where we're going these proof of stake platforms literally use no energy or give energy back to back to the earth so point is, I think people from traditional finance are scared, and I think it's really starting to shake people up. I'm glad that you brought that up, you know, because I think it is important, too, to look at things from the naysayer's point of view. 
because that might be something that underlying people are holding on to they don't even realize until you bring it up and if they're not people who read about it like me I don't typically get into that too much you don't necessarily get to see things in a different light but it's yeah I mean that's a problem with I think most things is people rely so heavily on the media whether it's Fox or CNN or BBC it doesn't matter but I think the majority of the time they're wrong on a number of things I don't care which side you're on but I think I think they're wrong and I think this alludes to and they're extremely these companies are being paid by other companies to say things and do things so it's like we all know that it's not unbiased Right, and I think, yeah, so I think... In any way. Yeah, and again, this it, it's nothing new. I mean, it's just, it's people, you know, listening, consuming X outlet, replace it for Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, doesn't matter, but people consuming this these news from these sources that, you know, and they take that for truth. If I'm a Libertarian, I look at a Libertarian article, I love that. If I'm a Republican, I look at a Republican article, I love that. If I'm a Democrat, I look at a Democrat article, I love that. But no one seems to do their own research. And then again, this is nothing new. It's the same thing with everything. But I feel like that's a strategy that you use to learn about things. Like you have a notion, you're like, this is what I think. You will actively go out of your way to like look up the opposing argument and read it and explore that too. So I yeah. think that is just in general a good strategy to live by. If you're so gung-ho about something and you can't at least find something in the other side of things that's like, okay, like this is their motivating factor. This is their reason. Like I can understand that. Like, well, not even that, not even motivation. I just think people have, maybe it's a lack of confidence in themselves, but I just think people have a problem with coming up with their own opinion. Trusting themselves to make the decision, to do the research. I think it's just laziness, honestly. Well, yeah, I think it comes back to laziness, but the more that I think about it, it might be confidence because if I research something, if, if, if I see something on Good Morning America or whatever, and I'm like, huh, that seems weird, you know, I'll research it, and then I'll have my opinion on it, and then, yeah. Oftentimes, but I everyone else believes what opinion. the Good Morning America piece said because they don't look any further, and you're like, well, do I just say this? Which I know most people would disagree with. In short, I just think people, I don't think people are... Yeah, I think most people are lazy, but even the people that aren't lazy to do the research, if the conclusion they come up with is opposite of what was presented to, you know, the quote-unquote all-knowing media, then they're like, ah, this can't be right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, You don't even believe what you've read and what you've researched because yeah, this it's entity like, yeah. which you have been taught to trust as truth says something different. Yeah, yeah and same thing with, with, with parenting in a way, like, you know, Oh man, mom, dad said it. Yeah, they must be right. You know, it's a, it's a similar thing. I think you know the media has kind of come our parents in a lot of ways, and you know what what they say goes. And I think people need to question. I think people should question everything. People should listen to this. If they do, they should question what I say. They should go and research it, and yeah, come up with their own conclusions. People just need to have confidence, do their own research, and come up with their own opinions, and be confident in that. The channel Sci-Fi had a slogan. It was question everything. I always love that. And that's kind of how I live. No wonder I'm so anxious and stressed out all the time. Just kidding. I love it. I love it. I learn a lot by living with this guy. All right. I think I'm going to go check on my sweet potatoes. Yeah, call it. Okay. Flip it. Bye.